You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Jesus, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. Um, thank you, Lord, uh, for just the gift of your church and most of all the gift of Christ. And I pray that you'd bless this time. Um, help us, Lord, to uh, just have vision and clarity for um, what your intention is with our kids and help us to love and lead our children well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so this is uh, going to be the first. All right, sure. This is going to be the uh, first of a six-week series, um, and basically what we're going to be doing is kind of unpacking what uh, the Advent's vision is for ministry to our kids. Um, it's based on um, it's based on five kind of foundations, five pillars. We base this both on a biblical theology of how we believe God calls us to minister to kids, and also it's based on what research is saying is actually effective in terms of forming kids who have lasting faith in Christ. So today I'm going to kind of give you the big picture overview um, of kind of how we've developed our model of ministry of children from age zero to 19. Um, and then each week after this, we'll go through one of the five pillars. So the five pillars being gospel centrality, theological depth through biblical teaching, relational discipleship, partnering with parents, inter- intergenerational integration. And so today is the, uh, today is the overview. Uh, and so uh, I want to start, I'm going to start and just tell you kind of what our vision, what our mission is um, for kids in our parish. Um, like kind of what is the lens that we are uh, thinking through uh, as we minister to kids from the nursery all the way to their senior year in high school. Um, and then I'll tell you a little bit about kind of some of the recent history, recent as in like the last 50 to 100 years, about what we've seen nationally in terms of ministry to kids um, and the total failure and debacle that it has been, uh, and then kind of how we've built our model somewhat in response to that, but a lot of what we've learned from that. So to start out, um, this is our mission statement. Uh, mission statement is a little more kind of pie in the sky, a little more aspirational, it's not as concrete. Uh, but our mission statement is the Cathedral Church of the Advent desires that all children, by the word, the gospel, and the spirit, will see and hear, know and trust love, worship, and enjoy our Lord God and his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, that's kind of long, but that's kind of the pie-in-the-sky hope, is that every kid would come to a place where they would, uh, through the Word, through the Spirit, through the Gospel, um, that they would see and hear Jesus, that they would come to know and trust Jesus, and that they would love, worship, and enjoy Jesus. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, that's, um, that's kind of the big picture. But here's the concrete. Uh, this, is what we really, this is what we really engage the most. Um, what we're trying to do is form students who stick with Christ in the church after high school. Um, the uh, church historically has, uh, and this is one of the big failures uh, in American Christianity with kids, is the concern has been getting kids in the door. Like, let's do whatever it takes to get the kids in the door, right? Let's have some pizza, let's play some games, Let's promise, and by the way, like laugh out loud if, if, if you grew up with any of this. Let's promise the kids if a certain number of kids come that they'll eat a goldfish, you know, the youth pastor will eat a goldfish or shave his head. Um, yes, these are all real things. Um, and so basically all the attention historically has been, let's just get the kids in the door. But there's been no concern about like what we're actually doing when they go out the door. And there's been no long-term thinking. The mentality that has kind of dominated ministry to kids 
in our country historically has been, in particular with teenagers. Um, teenagers are a ticking time bomb. Uh, and really what we're hoping to do is we're hoping to get them out the door without a DUI, without having gotten their girlfriend pregnant, um, and without having done something that will have, you know, life that will uh, incur lifelong damage for themselves or somebody else. Like that is generally um, the mentality with teenagers. Teenagers are dangerous. They don't have much going on neurologically in terms of risk management. <laughs> We're all very afraid. And so let's just get them in the door by whatever means possible. Let's scare the theological hell out of them uh, by t and, and you know tell them repeatedly, do not drink, do not smoke, do not have premarital sex, and be nice. And that's generally historically what the philosophy of ministry has been for kids uh, in the United States. And so this is um, this is kind of this is what what we're about in terms of our mission. You know, we said here. Oh, we've got two chairs here. We got two chairs here. We got two chairs there. So plenty of seats for those in the back. Um, so when we say that, you know, that our ministry, we're seeking to form students who stick with Christ in the church after high school, really what we're saying is that our mission is to make disciples. Make disciples. That's consistent with what our church's mission statement is altogether. So uh, our, our youth staff in particular, uh, we engage this uh, text from the Bible from uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, this is the Great Commission. And if you grew up Baptist, you got this was hammered, like tattooed on your forehead. You heard it every single week. Um, but the Great Commission, and we engage this at least two or three times uh, a month uh, at our staff meeting. And so what Jesus says is he says, um, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, and so we can break down this text uh, into a few words. Okay, so the Great Commission part that um, that most of us are maybe familiar with um, is go into go into the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to. Most people leave off the teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you to do and the baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, but in this text, in this verse, the governing verb is make disciples of all nations. That is the primary verb for the sentence. And so to make a disciple means to make someone who has lasting, sustainable faith in Jesus, someone who has a lasting, sustainable relationship with Christ. Uh, and so then Jesus kind of gives us some direction of how that is done. Uh, and, and by the way, one thing you'll learn is that this mentality has been foreign to ministry to kids for you know, the last 50 to 100 years um, of ministry to kids. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the thinking long-term, thinking beyond right now is just not as kind of an, as the youth ministry in particular has been allergic to that. Um, and so anyhow, so with that being said, the, 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 the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples at the end of Matthew, kind of his marching orders is to make disciples of all nations. The, the, the direction he gives are three participles, going, teaching, and baptizing. So these are all subordinate to the governing verb, which is make disciples of all nations. Uh, so the going is... Uh, like going out into the world. Like we believe that um, we believe in ministry, not a program. There's a difference between a program and a ministry. Um, a program is like, hey guys, we're here at the church, like sitting in my chair, nice and comfy. And if you want to come on down, like we'll be here, right? That's not ministry. That's a program. That's just w waiting for kids to come to you. Like that's just not effective, right? By the, I mean, it's, it's not. It's never really been that effective. But particularly now, when kids are very kind of anti-institutional. Uh, and, you know, they're just not like, 
they're, they're naturally not just going to knock on the door, right? We have to like go to kids. So one of the things uh, that, that you know, we're all about is trying to engage our children, like reaching out to them, texting them, uh, going to their you know, baseball games or their football games or their choir events, whatever it is. Um, and we believe that our arrow has to be pointed out. We have to go out. Um, second, teaching. Uh, this is why like teaching kids the Bible. Uh, Jesus says, teaching them all that I've commanded you to do. And so we can just, in broad terms, we can uh, understand this as teaching the Bible, teaching kids an understanding of the gospel. Uh, and like whether it's in the nursery or in children's ministry, uh, youth groups, Sunday school, Sunday night, whatever, everything we do, we try to make Bible-based. Uh, because we believe that the, the word really has power. Uh, and so teaching the Bible is, is like foundational and central to what we do. Uh, and then finally, baptizing. It's kind of interesting. Um, I, I will say, you know, we all know what that means in terms of what the clergy do in terms of baptizing babies or baptizing new believers who haven't been baptized, uh, serving communion, like having a sacramental ministry. Well, you got to remember that when a person is baptized, they are baptized into a community. They are baptized into the family of God. And so with that being said, uh, in addition to going and teaching, one thing we're trying to do at every level is cultivate community, cultivate a, a sense of fellowship uh, where kids feel like they have a place of belonging, where they feel like their, their church is a place where they are loved, they are known, they are cared for, they're identified. And so, so just in very short terms, um, this, is, this is kind of, these are just some of the fundamentals of kind of like what governs our day-to-day -day thinking when it comes to kids. Okay, and then finally, uh, I'm just going to blitz over this. This is uh, this is more kind of like insider ministry lingo, but we think in terms of four E's. Evangelize, establish, equip, and export. And so when we say evangelize, we want all kids to know the gospel. We want all kids to have a relationship with Jesus. It's kind of self-explanatory. That's mission number one. Um, two, establish. Like we want all kids to have um, to have a deep knowledge of the Bible the neat knowledge of God's truth, a deep knowledge of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So at, at the intellectual level, at the knowledge level, we want our kids to be well-educated, well-formed Christians. So that's, that's what we mean by establish. Then uh, one thing that's really important to us, and if, if you're not at the youth group level yet, you, you, you won't be quite as familiar with this, um, but we talk about equip and export. And so by equip, what we mean is we want to train, like give kids training, help them understand what their gifts are, if they're a musician or they really have a gift of working with children or they're a good teacher and communicator or they're a good leader or they're a gatherer, we want, to, we want them to identify that. We want to train them and those kind of things. And then export, we want to give them an opportunity to actually have a meaningful role in their church. Like one of, we kind of say the bottom line of what we're hoping to do. And, and like, well, here's the thing, like this is, this is very formulaic. You know, this is very like step one, step two, step three, step four. It feels almost like so systematic that it's sterile and almost dehumanizing. I don't want, I don't want to give off that impression. Um, but one thing we hope to do is we hope to form kids who, when they graduate from our church, wherever they go, uh, they will be a contributor. They, they will feel like they can be a contributor in the church. Like they will feel like they've had enough training, they've had enough experience to do something that they will actually be a, they can go to their church at age of 19, if it's in Tuscaloosa or Auburn or Birmingham or wherever, and they can show up and say, hey, like I taught Bible study for two years when I was in high school. Like I can be a Bible study leader or a Sunday school leader in your church. Or, hey, I, I worked with like, I, I played music in the youth worship band and I played music with 
the the band here at the Advent, like I can be a part of your contemporary worship band at the church in Winston-Salem. Um, or I, you know, for four or five years, I've been a children's Sunday school teacher and I've like taught VBS and that kind of stuff. I know how to do children's ministry. Like I can be a children's Sunday school teacher. And so the thing is, is that one of the kind of uh, mistakes, um, shortcomings, I would say, of uh, the way people have ministered to kids historically is for whatever reason, they treat them like idiots. Like they treat them like they're totally incapable of doing anything. Whereas in the school system, in the school system, you have kids running things like Relay for Life, where they're raising like hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, I think Vestavia High School raised over a quarter of a million, uh, over a quarter million dollars last year. They're the kids in the Relay for Life, okay? Like that is real stuff, right? Come on down, raise some money for me at Rooted Kids at Vestavia. Um, no, no, you know, they, they like, in, in their sports teams or on their dance teams in their, you know, in the school choir or the school symphony, they have to learn like sophisticated things. They, you know, people expect things of them and they respond to it. Like kids like to be treated like adults. They like to be treated um, like they can do something. And so, but for whatever reason, the church has never done that. Um, either at the established level, you know, kids are learning like foreign languages and physics and things like that, but they've always watered the, like watered down uh, the teaching of kids like kids can't handle anything. It's like a total weird double standard um, that the church has as compared to the um, to the school systems. And so we just we think that uh, basically, well, I'll get to this in a second. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. You can see the big picture there. Okay, so history of ministry to young people. I'm gonna give you a little sketch here. It's a little bit all, this is a little bit all over the place, but we're, we're gonna put it all together here in the end. Um, but anyhow, so I've already kind of told you like what our mission is. Um, and uh, let me take a step back and kind of tell you what, like what is the basis of this. And some of it has to do with um, the total failure of the American church and forming kids with lasting faith. Uh, so youth ministry in particular, uh, and children's ministry as we think about it uh, in our church, it's all relatively new. Uh, it's, it's new in terms of history. Uh, it's not something that was really uh, going on as we think about it today, say 100 years ago. Um, what, you, what happens is in uh, with World War II and the Nazi movement, uh, after World War II, people started to see that the Nazis were able to leverage the youth of Germany uh, for evil. And so you have the Cold War, you have communism, and people in the United States start to get worried. And they say, wow, the Nazis leveraged kids for evil. Uh, man, what if, what if communists in this country can do that? What if they can get the upper hand uh, with young people? Man, that, we're, we're in big trouble. So we need, we need to get out in front. And so that is really kind of the birth of youth ministry. That's why there's, um, that's why there's such a God and country flavor to a lot of old, to a lot of uh, Christians that are, say, a couple of generations older than me, because a lot of the, um, a lot of the Christian ministry that was done to young people, say, in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, was, uh, a lot of it was driven by nationalism. Um, and so, uh, you can read, um, Bergler's book, The Juvenilization of American Christianity, it talks about that a bit. Um, but anyhow, what you see is, uh, so anyhow, this first generation of youth ministry and children's ministry uh, kind of, I don't want to say came to a close, but kind of came to a close around the turn of the century, uh, about 18 years ago. And so people were like, we probably should examine whether or not uh, this is a very effective, because churches were dumping money and resources into children and youth ministry. And, um, and they, were kind of, they were doing it kind of blindly. 
it was kind of like, oh, that's what the, the church across town is doing. Well, we, we better do that too, or no one's going to come to our church. Because a lot of people, they come to church because they want to, you know, form their kids into Christians or moral people or whatever it may be. And so they, they, there were a bunch of national surveys looking at uh, the efficacy of youth ministry to form kids who actually had lasting faith in Christ, who were actually attending church. Let's say that, attending church as adults. And they found that 70% of kids who were raised in the church who participated in children's or youth ministry did not return to church after high school. A 30% success rate. Talk about just throwing money on the fire, right? A total failure. And so uh, they even looked at like some denominations, I'm not going to say which one, uh, they found that a child who was raised in that denomination was less likely to be a church-attending Christian than a person who was not raised in the church at all was to be evangelized in the general public and become a church-attending Christian by that means. And so one of the big uh, experts on this is someone at Princeton named Kenda Creasy Dean. She has a book called uh, Almost Christian. And she argues that you could almost make, you could almost make the interpretation that children and youth ministry was actually repelling kids from Christianity uh, more than it was actually bringing kids closer to God uh, and, and, and engendering a commitment to the church. So people freaked out, understandably, they should. <laughs> and they're like, wow, so we've basically just been flushing money down the toilet. We're completely failing. Uh, what's the reason? And so there was a second level of research that looked at the why. Like, why is it that we're failing so miserably? And I want to say that the research that was done on this, this was not like Podunk Bible College in rural Indiana who did this study. Like, this was Princeton, UNC Chapel Hill, Oxford, Fuller Seminary, so on and so forth. So, like, outstanding academic institutions. And they found that there were three primary reasons why like kids were not sticking with Christ and the church. So the first was churches were not equipping families to spiritually invest in their kids. Uh, there's, um, there, you know, this is especially true of suburban families, but uh, there's very much in American culture an outsource mentality. Like, okay, my kid needs to learn music. I'm going to send them to the piano teacher. Uh, my kid needs to, you know, learn how to play baseball. I'm going to send them to Little League or to the batting coach. Uh, you know, my, my child needs to grow intellectually. They're going to send them to school or to a tutor. Okay, so they're, for their spiritual, the, the same mentality carried over to their spiritual development. For their spiritual development, um, we're just going to send them to church. And the churches did a horrible job of educating parents um, that they actually have a role in their child's spiritual development. Um, and also helping families understand that, like, they're only in church for a very limited amount of time, uh, whereas they're at home with their parents a lot. So just in terms of the number of like hours, in terms of a child's Christian education and formation, there's just only so much that can be done on a Sunday morning if it's not being like kind of reinforced during the week. And so churches um, just they didn't they didn't do anything in that way, and they were just happy to kind of blend in to the outsourced mentality, uh, the we've got it from here mentality. And so that was the first failure. Second failure was churches segregating kids from the life of the church. Uh, so this is really interesting. Um, you know, they, they would find that kids would grow up in the nursery, then they'd go to children's chapel, then they'd go to the youth room, or they'd go to youth worship, and they never had any experience, like, interacting with people outside their peer group. So then they go out into the real world, and they show up at a church, and, you know, there are some older people over here, and there's a lady breastfeeding over there, and there are some small children over here, and they, there was a social barrier. 
um, that uh, they, they were not prepared uh, to actually be a member of a church. They were not prepared to worship with people of different generations. And so they found this to be a major contributing factor. The biggest factor by far, by far the biggest factor in this research was the theology um, of ministry to kids. And so uh, there was one study called the National Study on Youth and Religion. This was the most major study. Um, it was done by a guy named Christian Smith, and it was called, you know, a collaboration between UNC Chapel Hill and Oxford, and Princeton had a hand in there too. Um, and basically, they did this giant study to kind of, uh, in particular, to look at the theology of church-going of kids. And they found that what kids believed, what they had been taught in church, was not even remotely close to basic biblical Christianity. Um, the theology of kids was called moralistic therapeutic deism. Okay, so I want you to take a step back. Think about if, if your experience was somewhat similar to mine. Uh, think about your experience at church, okay? Uh, it was, the model was, we're going to do something fun. Come on down. Going to play a game. Going to play some chubby bunny. Um, all right. Uh, everybody knows it. Yeah, okay. My, my people who are raised in evangelical subculture, they're hearing it. Um, yeah, we're going to play some Chubby Bunny. Uh, then, you know, we're going to play some emotionally driven music. We're going to light the fire. Yeah, you know it. Light the fire. Come on. You, you, you play Light the Fire. Uh, and then we're going to give you a high-pressure talk about, you know, hey, kids, don't drink this week. All right? Don't drink and don't sleep with your girlfriend. All right? That's what Jesus wants from you. Go get them. And, you know, and we're going to hope. We're going to hope that the emotional music and the guilt, shame, and fear of the talk is going to be powerful enough that over the next seven days, you're not going to make any destructive decisions for you or for society, right? And, uh, and so, you know, the, the power of light, the fire, and the power of guilt and fear will be enough to, you know, help you make good decisions for a week. And let's just hope you come back next week because it's not going to last 14 days, all right? <laughs> Okay, and so, um, and so with that being said, this all kind of makes sense, that their theology, what kids believe, and we're talking like 2,000 kids who were interviewed, uh, that they, what they believe was moralistic therapeutic deism. So basically, they understood Christianity was a set of rules. Like, first and foremost, it's a set of rules that I need to follow. And then uh, next, therapeutic. This is mind-boggling to me. Most kids, their understanding of the purpose of Christianity was to bolster their self-esteem to bolster my self-esteem and to make me happy. Like not even a concept that I like that it's about like glorifying God or loving and worshiping God or like serving other people. Um, and then deism, this is tragic. Most kids, their understanding of God, their understanding of the character of God is that God is deistic, like the God of Christianity, that he's far, he's out there, he's distant. If you have an emergency, he will come. He's like 911, he's an ambulance service. If you have an emergency, he will come. But otherwise, like, I kind of independently live my life, and Jesus is, like, you know, just three three digits away um, if I have an emergency. And so uh, these were the tenets of moralistic therapeutic deism. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Yikes. How shallow and how empty and like depressing is that? Um, yeah, no, no, no doubt. Um, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve an emergency. 
And then finally, uh, good people go to heaven when they die. Okay, that was their view of salvation, was just be moral and you go to heaven. Um, okay, and so with that being said, um, the model that we have uh, is based on, first off, what the Bible says, because none, none of this is in any way remotely resembles what the Bible teaches, uh, but also to what research is showing um, are, are indicators um, uh, that kids who actually do stick, like what, what are characteristics of those kids. And so the, the, there are five pillars, and these are the five pillars we're going to get into more in the next five weeks. So it'll be a week on gospel centrality, on theological depth, on relational discipleship, on partnering with parents, and then intergenerational integration. Um, but, um, but first, gospel centrality. Uh, if nothing else, if nothing else, <laughs> that we want every child in this church, whether they believe it or not, to know that the overarching message of Christianity is God's love for sinful people through Christ. Like we want them to know grace. We want them to know God's love, undeserved love for sinners through Christ. Uh, the number one indicator of whether a kid will stick with Christ or not after high school is their clarity in defining the gospel of grace. 2014, November 2014 interview uh, with Christianity Today, Kara Powell, who is like one of the gurus, she's the head of this Sticky Faith project out of uh, Fuller Seminary. Um, she was asked by Christianity Today, if you could boil it down to one factor, what would you say is the most important factor? And she says, well, I would say, you know, if a kid can define the gospel or not. If a kid can, defines Christianity, uh, and, and, and the Fuller book, Sticky Faith, talks about this. If a kid can define um, the basic message of Christianity as, you know, God's love for them through Christ, there's a high likelihood there'll be a church sending Christian as an adult. By the way, when I give you these statistics, I know the temptation because I'm like totally, I'm totally a control monkey all day long. Like, is to like, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. We all know that we can't like save our kids. Like only God can save our kids, right? Only God can make these things work. Um, but these are, these are helpful things to know. Uh, but anyhow, and so with that being said, I'm, this is what my, my talk's going to be about next week is how we as families can help um, engender in our kids just a basic knowledge of the gospel. Um, my, when I drop my children off at school, we have, and this includes my little three-year-old Hutch, and he doesn't really nail the, this little catechism every day, but um, <laughs> he's really cute, though. Um, but anyhow, but I'll, I'll say to them, I'll say, uh, you know, Mary Matthews, Hutch, like, what does gospel mean? Good news. What's the good news? Jesus died for my sins. Who loves you? Who loves you the most? God. Who loves you the second most? Mommy and Daddy. What can you do by God's power and grace? Hard things. And so basically we do this with our um, junior high and high school Bible studies every single week. We say, guys, what is gospel? Good news. What's the gospel mean? Jesus died for my sins so I can have a relationship with God. Uh, what is, uh, what's the good news for the world? Christ is king. And what is grace? God's undeserved love for sinners. We do that every single week um, because we want them to, if nothing else, whether they believe it or not, to know the gospel. Um, good, we're in good shape. Okay, second, theological depth through biblical teaching. Uh, basically, with this, um, we want our kids to have like a good biblical Christian worldview. Like your child is going to go into the world, they're going to have a philosophy professor who's an atheist who wakes up in the morning to talk kids out of Christianity. They're going to have uh, you know someone on their hall who was a debater in high school and read all the neo-atheism stuff. They're going to have a tragedy. Uh, they're going to have some huge disappointment in life. They're going to have a season where they don't feel God. And that's when they need the intellectual tools. That's when they need uh, knowledge to help them walk through those situations so that they can defend their faith and so that they can understand they have 
a theological narrative by which they can say, oh, this bad thing happened, and this fits in, like, this fits into my worldview, and God is still good. We want them to be able to navigate those things and still believe that God is good. Uh, so anyhow, that's theological depth through biblical teaching. Um, one little thing on that, this is something I am going to hammer all day long um, in our church this year, but is anyone familiar with the New City Catechism? Uh, this is what the app looks like on your phone. I would encourage everyone to, uh, to download it, especially if you have small kids, uh, because the, uh, a catechism is like basically seven questions and answers, 70, sorry. The New City is 70 questions and answers that is basically a good, basic, systematic theology for a kid. And the New City, they have taken every one of these questions and made it into really good music for children. I think a child up to fourth-ish grade depending on the child, can actually really like the music. So we play this music in our car like all the time. Uh, and we're going to be playing it in children's Sunday school. We do you know, a couple of questions every week, just playing the song off the phone, just off the app, in Sunday school. And this is a way um, that we you know, try to help kids have theological depth. And also, too, just by teaching the Bible, kids are going to get a lot of theological knowledge. If you just teach the Bible, it'll take care of itself. It's all in there. <laughs> okay, so then... I'm going to skip that. I'm not going to do that right now. All right, so back to the other ones. Relational discipleship. Um, okay, so basically, like, our kids can know the gospel. Our kids can know every answer. But it's really not not very helpful unless they have people who are mentoring them and helping them understand what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, depending on what... <laughs> I'm not going to out anybody. But depending on what um, denominational setting you may have grown up in, there are some denominational settings where the kids know everything like they they have been catechized they know every answer they know every bible story but they don't really have any idea what it means to like follow jesus in like a practical sense to be a christian in their life um and so uh so with that being said um whether that's like our parents whether that's sunday school teachers whether that's you know in youth group youth pastors and youth volunteers like discipling kids getting together with kids so on and so forth uh, we want to, you know, relational discipleship uh, is key. And also that old adage, they don't, they don't care how much you know until you know how much you care, right? <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's actually true, you know. So, you know <laughs> I, I couldn't say it without mocking it. Um, all right, final, uh, four and five, uh, partnering with parents. Uh, that, that's honestly, um, that's a big, that's like what this is right here. Like that's why we have the Sunday school class every week during the school year. Uh, is we're just trying to we want to be a resource to parents. Like, uh, and and one thing I have this motto: you don't really have to be a great Christian parent to be a really good Christian parent. Honestly, uh, it's not like you don't have to have a seminary degree to be uh, a wonderful Christian parent. My my parents, uh, my, my my parents are not like theology or Bible junkies, but like we went to church very regularly. Uh, we prayed before meals. Uh, and like Jesus was really important in our house, that, you know. And, and there were no, there was no catechism, there were no family devotionals, there was nothing like that. Um, there, you know, there was when I was little, like my parents would pray with me before, you know, before bed. Uh, but like that right there is really good. Um, this is, uh, I hesitate to give you the stat, but I'm going to. Uh, library research found that a child who grows up in a home where they go to church twice a month or more, and the parents have just like basic Orthodox Christian views. Child is like has a 75% chance of being a church attending Christian as an adult, as a young adult. Um, so uh, anyhow, I think it's kind of a, it's kind of interesting. Um, just going to church is like really good. 
Um, no, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, I know, I know, I know it's like as a parent, you're like super overwhelmed. I'm like, I'm giving you this. I'm like giving you the, all these things and all these statistics and all these models and all this kind of stuff. And you're kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, like I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to go to seminary to be an effective Christian parent. No, like honestly, like just going to church is really good. Um, there, there are more things than that, but that's a really good start. Twice a month or more. Get that in. <laughs> if you were only here once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, take next week off. You're fine. <laughs> JK, JK, JK. <laughs> okay. Um, anywho. Okay. And then finally, intergenerational integration. I know for some people in the church, it's kind of been irritating by like how many little kids, like how we keep on like pushing the age that little kids come to church. I think like six or seven years ago, it wasn't in, I think fourth grade you were in church. You left early and no one, you know, from 3K to third grade was in there. And now, you know, now it's like kindergarten up starts in church. All of this, there's a reason behind this. Um, the reason behind this is um, one of the strongest indicators of um, whether a kid will be a church and a Christian as an adult or not is the number of years that they have been integrated into the worship service. Uh, the more years of experience they have uh, where they are going to church with people like the whole church, big church, we'll say, um, the, the more experience they have um, of being a church member. And, uh, and, and the social barrier is just not going to be there for them when they get older. They're used to it. That's just what they've always done. Um, that's also why we do things like our, um, we have like 14 or so students, all girls, who help with children's Sunday school. And they're partnered with an adult um, they have a role, and there's one study, terrible, I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to, one study that found that kid, like uh, teenagers who help with children's Sunday school, um, even if they're doing it to get out of big church, that the likelihood that they'll be a church-attending Christian as a young adult is extremely high. Um, and so we are, um, we are always trying to give kids meaningful roles in the church, like acolyting, it's like a really good thing. It's a good thing because they're usually working with some adults. They're under the, the leadership of some adults. They have a role in the worship service. Like it's a it's a good thing um, uh, in terms of uh, you know in terms of integrating them into the church. So this is one of the easiest things you can do uh, because honestly it's um, uh, yeah it's it's just a matter of like plugging them in. Uh, but but anyhow so integra- intergenerational integration. What's last year? What else do I have? Why? Okay. So why why does this all matter, right? Why is this all worth it? Uh, well, a couple of things. You know, we think that what you think about it as a parent, like what are your real, what are your hopes and aspirations for your kid uh, when it all comes down? You know, we want, you know, we really want our kids to be people who have like good integrity, good character, right? We want them to be good, good husbands and wives, and good parents when they get older, good friends. We want them to be ethical people, and so you know, we think that their relationship with Jesus is, you know, the, the most formative thing, and them having good character. So that's one reason. Um, secondly, you know. Um, a child who uh, does not think that the whole purpose of life and the whole purpose of their existence and the, purpose, and the existence of Christianity is for their self-esteem um, and for their personal happiness, a child that actually has a meaningful sense of purpose in their life, uh, their, you know, their, their overall uh, attitude, their overall mental health, everything is going to be much greater. It's going to be much better. Uh, something interesting, a... Um, the demographic of kids that has the lowest likelihood to attempt suicide is a kid who thinks that they they have a place in the world where they matter. 
uh, they have a role where they feel like, hey, if I don't show up, like that actually is gonna, that's not gonna be good. Like they count on me. And, and so it, what it communicates to a kid is, uh, that they, you know, that their life really does matter, that they have purpose. And so we want our kids to have a sense of purpose. Uh, third, um, we want our kids to, we all know, we're all afraid of, you know, the difficulties that they're gonna face, uh, and, um, the struggles they're gonna have in life. They're already having them now, but we all know that just compounds. They get into the real world and they get, uh, they, they, you know, become adults. And so we want them to be prepared to suffer. We want them to have hope and comfort in suffering. We think that knowing the gospel, knowing Christ is, is the key thing that's, um, that's gonna give them that sense of hope. And then finally, this is the key thing. What do we really want for our kids? We don't want our kids to be happy. We want our kids to be satisfied, right? Um, a person who's happy all the time uh, is that's, uh, probably doesn't have a ton of character. Um, what we really want is for our kids to be satisfied. Uh, and you know, this is one of the things we say over and over again to our kids, like uh, that you'll never be satisfied until you're satisfied in Christ. Like Jesus is the thing that will satisfy your heart. You have a God-shaped hole in your heart that only God can fill. And so at the end of the day, uh, that's really, I think the thing that we probably sell to our kids the most is that um, we, we want you to have the deepest sense of satisfaction in your life possible, to be as content as possible, and Jesus is the thing that'll satisfy you. So in ter- going back to the very beginning of like wanting kids to have a sustainable relationship with Jesus for their whole life, not just get them in the door and don't make bad decisions, but actually like they actually have uh, a relationship with Jesus that has foundations that will last, like really at the end of the day, like it's because I want my child to be satisfied. Like Jesus is the most satisfying thing I have. I want them that, that for them as well. So I have given you oh, so much information. I'm sorry. This is called a firehose, um, firehose type talk. Um, it's 10 till, yeah, we probably should go. So let me pray. If anyone wants to hang around and ask questions, love to do so. Um, Jesus, thanks for loving us and thanks for dying for our sins. And thank you so much that you've given us uh, children in our lives, whether that's um, our own children that you've blessed us with, or if that is um, the children just that we have the privilege to have influence over, or to have a relationship with um, in our church and our lives. We just thank you for that. And uh, we pray for our kids that they would come to really uh, know and trust and love, worship, uh, and glorify Jesus. I ask these prayers in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.